Amen. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is also the greatest teacher who ever walked the face of this earth. He taught truth with power and with authority. He is the master of all who follow Him. And He calls and commands people to follow Him. Following Jesus means leaving our old lives behind and pursuing Jesus before us wholeheartedly. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote years ago, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of following Jesus. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 1. We'll be in verses 35 through 42 this morning. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Following Jesus. In this passage of Scripture, I'm going to focus on the following main point. Following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to Him. Following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to Him. I want to invite you to stand this morning with me in honor of the reading of God's Word today. If following Jesus is a call and a command, then surely it wouldn't upset you too much to stand in honor of His Word. John 1, 35-42. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Father God, would you bless the reading and study of your word today. In the name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to him. You can't follow Jesus half-heartedly. It's all or nothing. And if following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to him... What does that mean exactly? I want you to notice three specific requirements that are listed in this passage. The first is that following Jesus requires your attention. 
Following Jesus requires your attention. I want you to notice this in verses 35 through 37. One night had passed since the famous cry of John the Baptist in verse 29. When he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John made that affirmation in the hearing of priests and Levites from Jerusalem who would have understood the significance of sacrificial lambs at the temple. There were also others who heard this statement. They would have included the crowds who came to hear John the Baptist preach and maybe even some of John's own spiritual students called disciples. That word disciple is a term that simply means follower. It has the connotation of one who is a submissive student and a loyal learner. The truth is that every single one of us, every single person on the face of this planet, is a disciple. The question is, who are you following? Many children, teenagers, college students, grown adults, and senior adults today are disciples of something or someone other than Jesus. Just think of the prevalent use of the term follower across social media platforms. You follow somebody means you watch how they live. You even start to mimic how they live if you're not careful. And Lord knows we need to be careful following people across social media platforms, right? Not all disciples are disciples of the one true God. Just as there are disciples in our day who are being led deeper into darkness by lies that they believe to be true, so in the days of the New Testament there were many disciples and many options for whom disciples could follow. You could follow the Sadducees, crooked in their practice of accepting bribes and corrupt in their doctrine of no resurrection. You could follow the Pharisees, loopholing legalists who cared about lining their pocketbooks instead of loving their aging parents. You could follow the latest group of political zealots who had come on the scene to revolt against Roman oppression and lead people into prosperity and peace. There have always been plenty of lies advertising for the attention of human hearts. It was there in John the Baptist's day. It's here in our day, too. It's been in every day in between, and it will be here in the days after. Lies abound, and people are attracted. People begin to follow. But there were two disciples that we read about in verses 35, 36, and 37. Who were disciples of a man of God. That we know as John the Baptist. This man did not preach of his own authority. Nor did he submit to the corrupt religious leaders of his day and preach through their authority. He taught the truth of God. Being sent from God. And some people followed him. That is, they became his disciples. 
One dictionary describes the act of following another as attaching oneself to the person or to the beliefs of another. These two disciples of John were attached to him. Notice in verse 35 that he was standing with them. They looked to him for direction and they listened to him for doctrine. They were serious students, loyal learners. What John preached, they listened to and they acted upon. So when John the Baptist gave Jesus his affirmation as the Lamb of God, two of his star pupils left his side and began to follow this man named Jesus. By the way, that meant that John had succeeded in his job, not that he'd failed. Maybe one thing for two students to just get up and walk out of a teacher's class. You think, man, I've really succeeded as a teacher today. Has that ever happened, Dr. Babcock? Don't answer that. you got students next to you. All right? Man, it'd be one thing for that to happen. But it'd be one thing for students to get up out of the classroom because they knew everything you had taught them and they were now going to live based upon the teaching you presented. We need to get more acquainted with the idea that when people leave our side to pursue the Savior on their own, we've succeeded in our duty as Christians, not failed. It might be nice if all of the hundreds of teenagers who have come to know Christ here at First Baptist Church over the years and have followed through with baptism were lifelong serving, tithing members of Walnut Ridge. But what has happened in many of their lives is even better than that if you'll pay attention. There are some young men and women now who are not here at FBC Walnut Ridge, but they're still following Jesus. They're leading worship at other churches. They're preaching in other places. They're raising their children in churches that teach the truth of God's word. They'll get married and move off. They'll lead ministries you don't know about in places you won't ever go. That's not failure. That's success. John the Baptist wasn't building a monastery with his name slapped on the front of the building. He was allowing God to build his kingdom through his life and ministry. And he was just thankful to be a single living stone stacked on the faith of the prophets before him, serving as another layer for the followers of Jesus who would come after him. Jesus had all of John's attention. And John didn't get sidetracked from the Savior. When Jesus had John's attention, Jesus also gained the attention of these two young men whom John had been teaching. Notice that when they heard John speak, they followed Jesus. I want to ask you, what has your attention this morning? If you don't know, just think about what you've been looking at and listening to. Whatever you're looking at and listening to is what has your attention. Are you looking at and listening to, to Jesus or to something else? 
following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to Him. Following Jesus requires our attention. Following Jesus also requires your affection. I want you to notice this in verses 38 and 39. When the attention of John's two disciples was set on Jesus, Jesus himself took notice of them. Jesus had been walking, and wherever Jesus walked, he had a purpose in going there. He put one foot in front of the other, not just because, but because he had a reason to go where he was going. Last night, my oldest daughter, Mally Grace, participated in the, I think it's the sixth division of the Miss Bobcat pageant. There's a lot of them, man. Whew. I can't honestly remember what the name of her group was because there's so many adjectives they use to describe them. Teeny, weeny, tiny, tot. I don't know, man. It was just, it was, it was wild. Uh, but the, the point I want to share with you is that she, like all of the other contestants, had to walk on and across and around the stage. I'm still not sure where they were going. But some of those young ladies knew exactly where they were going the whole time they were on stage. I thought it was hard to get little ones to run the right bases on the ball field. But guys, we have not attempted hard yet. I mean, at least we can point to a base. Like, you go there, not there. I mean, these, these girls, man, you, to watch them was pretty incredible. They'd have to walk, spin, poses mixed in the middle of their walk. All the while, trophies and sashes are over here to distract them. And people are just staring at them the whole time. That's a real challenge, guys. You think coaching Little League Baseball is hard, man. Whew. We hadn't had it. Those mamas who taught their girls how to walk across that stage. Good job, girls. When Jesus walked this earth, he had a purpose every place that he went. And so it's important to note when verse 38 says that he turned. He turned around. He turned around on purpose. He wasn't striking a pose for judges in a contest. He wasn't flashing his seamless robe so that the scores could get a better look. He was looking at John's two disciples square in the eye. And he asked them a question that really wasn't out of the question. After all, if two random guys just started following you, you'd probably turn around and ask them what they were doing too, wouldn't you? So Jesus asked the question, what do you seek? In other words, what are you after or why are you following me? Notice two points in their answer to Jesus' question. First, they answered with a title of respect for Jesus by calling him rabbi. In Jesus' day and time, great teachers of God's word were called rabbis. They were usually authorized by local synagogues or even perhaps the great council at Jerusalem to teach the truth so that others could learn. They would invite pupils, also known as disciples, to walk with them. 
to live with them and to learn from them. By calling Jesus rabbi, these two young men were submitting themselves to Jesus' authority. And they were also doing something else. They were asking if he would be their teacher. Notice that they answered Jesus' question with a question of their own. They said, where are you staying? These weren't two homeless men asking for a place to live. These were two men willing to leave their homes in order just to camp with Jesus. Jesus responded to their question with three simple words. Come and see. You could almost translate it, come and see for yourselves, if you really want to find out. He invited them to follow him. And they did. But I don't want you to miss the most important facet of this part of the conversation. They were not after Jesus because he had a big house. They were not after Jesus because he had lots of money. They were not after Jesus because everybody liked him and they wanted to be part of the popular crowd. Jesus didn't own a house. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, Jesus taught in Luke chapter 9. Jesus didn't have much money at all. There were already people, even at this point, when Jesus first came on the public scene, that didn't like him because he was that one that crazy John the Baptist had been preaching about. These two young men were not after anything that Jesus could do for them. They were just after Jesus himself. Let me give you the big clue in this text that lets you know that truth. If you like to take notes in your Bible, then you ought to either circle, underline, or highlight, do something to the verb staying in verse 38. Some of you may have a different translation under than the New King James Version. That's fine. But you, you notice their question, where are you staying? Circle, underline, highlight that verb. And then you ought to also do the same thing for the verb staying in verse 39. They came and saw where he was staying. And then you ought to do the same thing for the verb remained in verse 39. Those three words, staying, staying, remained. And here's why. All of those words come from the same verb that John loved to use throughout his writings. He uses it more than any other author in the New Testament. It's translated in different ways, including stay, remain, dwell, live, and my personal favorite, abide. Have you ever heard that word before? Have you ever heard somebody talk to you about abiding with Christ or abiding in Jesus? When these two young men asked Jesus, where are you staying? They were asking, where are you abiding? They just wanted to be with Jesus. It didn't matter where he was going or where he was. They just wanted to be with him. He showed them where he was abiding 
and they abode with him that day. The tenth hour doesn't mean ten o'clock, but ten hours after the sunrise, approximately 6 a.m. So from around 4 p.m. that afternoon through the rest of the evening, they were with Jesus. Let's revisit that pageant from last night. Guys, I know some of you don't want to, but let's go there, okay? Can I tell you why I called my parents from Cherokee Village and said, Hey, do you want to come down and join us at the Miss Bobcat pageant? Can I tell you why I made three boys and a baby sit with me for over three hours in seats at the Walnut Ridge Community Center? And I didn't stay for the whole thing. Chad Broadway gets kudos, man. He's got girls. Three of them. They all did a great job, too. I didn't go because I was going to win an award for being dad of the year. I didn't go because I thought it would be as exciting as watching the St. Louis Cardinals run the bases at Bush Stadium. I didn't go because someone paid me a bunch of money to sit there and watch it. I went because my daughter was there. And I wanted to be there with her. That's what it means to have your affection set on someone. Following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to Him. You don't want Him for a bigger house or a fatter paycheck or some personal gain. You just want to follow Him because you want to be with Him. Following Jesus requires your affection. Do you love him or are you attempting to use him to get something else for yourself? If you want to use Jesus, then you are not his disciple. But if you love Jesus, you'll follow him. He wants your heart's affection. And I also want you to notice this in verses 40 and 41. Following Jesus requires your assertion. Following Jesus requires your assertion. Conviction and belief that he really is who John the Baptist said he was as the Lamb of God. That he really is who Andrew proclaimed him to be as the Messiah. That he is who the Bible tells us he is as the Son of God. I want you to notice that one of these two guys who followed Jesus had a brother. And the very first thing he did was to go find his brother and tell him, Hey, we found this man named Jesus. He's the Messiah that we've been waiting for. I have a brother who's around two and a half years younger than me. His name is Luke. He's the principal over at Paragould High School. We fought like cats and dogs growing up, but we get along pretty well today. And I try to remind my wife Stephanie of that every once in a while because our boys fight on a routine basis too. One of these two disciples had a brother. His name was Andrew. And although he was the first one to follow Jesus, he would eventually not be near as well known as his brother, Simon Peter, who kind of became the leader and the spokesperson of Jesus' disciples during Jesus' ministry on this earth 
and even after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Usually when a man calls his brother, it's because he needs help. You guys are aware of this situation, right? My, my brother had, I don't know how many fraternity brothers. You know who he calls every time he needs help moving? Not them. It's me. Every time. I'm glad to help him. We, we've had some fun. Or you, you call your brother, you know, when you have this, this offer that's too good to be true. Not for him, but for you. Hey, Luke, if, if you'll sign up here on this thing, I can get a $50 gift card. Can I just put your email address down on there? I know you're going to get a bunch of junk mail, but will you help a brother out? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. There's a third reason you call your brother, too. You know why? It's because you haven't just found something too good to be true. You found the truth, and you want him to know it. You want what's best for your brother because you love him. You care about him. When you find something that changes your life in a way that nothing else ever has, and it changes your life in such a wonderful way that you want everybody to experience this life change. The first people that we often go to are the ones that we know the best and love the most. For many of you, it's family members. It may not be a brother. It may be a sister. It may be a parent. It may be a child. It may be a grandchild. It may be a grandparent. For some of you, it may be a friend, somebody you've worked with for a long time, somebody you've grown up with. When Andrew found Jesus, the first thing he did was to go and find his brother that he'd fought with every day, but his brother that he loved because he wanted his brother to experience the same life-changing transformation that he had. Did you notice that in verse 41? He first found his own brother Simon. And he said to him, without blinking an eyelash, we have found the Messiah. It's the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ. Both of those words simply mean the anointed one. We found him. All the Old Testament prophecies appointed to him. John the Baptist has been preaching about him coming on the scene. He's here, and we met him. We spent time with him. And you can imagine how brothers respond at times, right? Sometimes your brother says, uh, well, yeah, Jake, I guess you can throw my email address on that list. I really wish you wouldn't, but I'll let you do it. Jake, I really don't have time to help you out, but I'll come help you. Or Jake, man, I know you keep talking about this. I guess I'll just, since you're my brother, I'll listen to you. I mean, maybe Peter came running excited because he believed his brother Andrew. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. All we know is that Andrew first found his brother and told him. And Andrew didn't stop just with telling his brother. Notice what verse 42 says. Whether it was kicking, screaming, reluctant, excited, we don't know. What we do know is this. Andrew brought him to Jesus. You see that in verse 42? Some other English translations say he led him to Jesus. 
This is what it means to point someone else to Christ. To tell them who Jesus is and bring them before the Lord. And when Andrew brought his brother before the Lord, the Lord changed his life. When Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. Some translations, the son of John. Jesus knew exactly who this man was. But Jesus also knew who this man would become. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. It was this person that the Lord Jesus would use or work through, is a better way to put it, to build his early church, preaching the first sermon at which thousands of souls would be saved from their sins. And the reason Peter preached that sermon is because his brother proclaimed to him with boldness, we found Jesus and you need to come and see him. I can remember, it's been several years ago now, my brother and I were coming back from Jonesboro I won't give you all the details of this story, but he just wasn't really having a, a good day. Really wasn't at a place he wanted to be at in life. And we talked the whole way back about following Jesus. And he told me, you know, Jake, years ago, I remember going to Awana at church with Gordon Montgomery and Mike Daly and T.J. Sipes, and I remember praying a prayer, asking Jesus to save me, but Jake, I just, I don't know. And I said, well, Luke, the Lord knows whether you're really saved or not. I said, but more importantly, the Lord wants you to know that you are saved, that you belong to Him. Are you sure? That you've trusted in Jesus. I don't know. I said, do you want to be sure? He said, yeah. So we pulled our car off the side of the highway right before you turn at the stoplight on 91. Some of you may have passed us that day. I don't know. It's been a while back. But there in that place that afternoon, I said, Luke. I don't know what you've done before, but God knows it all. But I do know this. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. Verse 13 says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you'll call on him right now, you can know for certain that you belong to him. He prayed in the car. And he settled his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that day. I want to ask you this question. Are you absolutely sure that you know Jesus Christ? Following Jesus requires your assertion 
It requires you believing with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus is who he says he is. There is no half-hearted follower of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus requires that we give all of ourselves to him. So I want to ask you this question as I close. Have you given all of yourself to Jesus? Does he have your attention? Does he have your affection? Does he have your assertion? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he wants to be Lord of your life. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment, you're going to hear a song of invitation. As this song is played, I invite you to sing with us. But even more importantly, I invite you to respond to God as He's spoken to your heart today. Maybe you really haven't given all of yourself to Jesus yet. Would you choose right here and right now to surrender all of you to all of Him? He is worth following. He is worth leaving your old life behind because He'll give you a new life, an abundant life, and an eternal life. He is worth leaving a house on this earth for because He has a home in heaven. Imperishable and incorruptible. Would you choose, if you have not already, to give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ.